Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a shaman columnist, but he's also a lore aficionado. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello, everybody. It is going well. I am enjoying, finally, spring weather. I was going to say, is it still snowing up there? Because I know it was crazy for a while. People say it's crazy, but we're. I think my the area that I live in is like in this weird seasonal Vortex. shift. Okay. Well, no seasonal shift because it was warmer later into the year, and then winter hung around a little bit longer than it normally does. But it still equates to the same amount of time. But regardless, it's like sixty and sunny and beautiful. And yes, I was going to say excited. you're in New York, aren't you? I am. Okay, because like a lot of the baseball games that I've been watching. Well, I haven't been watching them because they've been canceled because of inclement weather over the last couple of weeks. Well, so, so I didn't the, know if you were in that area or not. <laughs> so it, New York is actually a really long state, and I'm at one complete opposite end of yeah. where the baseball teams are. Okay. I'm actually closer to Toronto uh, in Canada than I am to New York City. Okay. So. All right. Well, um, speaking of Canada, <laughs> we've got our other co-host with us as well. He's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. I'm pretty sure where you're at got hit by snow, didn't it? No, it's been crazy warm this week. Really? It's uh, The high was 17 Celsius, which is like 60, 62 degrees Fahrenheit, which is nice. Uh, today was 10 degrees Celsius, so you're looking at like 50, 55, but really sunny. Okay. We took the dog to the – there's a, a nature preserve not too far from here. We took the dog for a walk uh, about four kilometers. It's still muddy and there's still some snow on the ground, but overall, yeah, it's it's – it's actually gotten much warmer. It started, it was snowing in April. Like it was the first week of the month was snowing, but it's been warm this week, which yeah, is good because, you know, I had stuff that I had to do this week. So We've been going back and forth here between like 70 degree weather and then the next day it's down at 50 for, for no discernible reason. Like there's no clouds or anything. It's just, oh, the temperature dropped a lot. Okay, well, whatever. So um, it's Colorado. Kind of expect that. But this is not a weather podcast. <laughs> so we should probably... Despite the name of the site, yeah. Despite the name of the site, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about lore and Blizzard Entertainment. Uh, usually we stick to World of Warcraft this year, or this year. This this show, we're actually uh, going to turn our attention to Overwatch. Overwatch recently had a new event come out, Overwatch Uprising, as part of the Overwatch Archives kind of moniker that they have dubbed these uh PVE events that kind of delve into the past of Overwatch and this time around Blackwatch and Overwatch Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about that event we've also got some emails regarding you know Overwatch lore and that kind of thing it's been a while since we've sat down and actually like dedicated a show to Overwatch lore so I figured it was kind of you know past time that we do so so um, Retribution is 
the latest event. It takes place one year before Uprising, as far as the timeline goes. Uprising was seven years ago, if years ago we're talking about Overwatch current day. Uprising was seven seven years, and then Retribution was eight years ago. So it was basically, uh, this stuff happened a year before Uprising happened. Um, Retribution is kind of... Uh, it's significant for a number of reasons. The biggest, like first and foremost, the biggest reason is because it brought the attention of the world onto Black Watch for the first time. And Black Watch is Overwatch's special ops unit that does, you know, the secret shady stuff that Overwatch really can't get away with doing. Um, they were kind of working under the radar until this point, until this whole incident happened. Um, this incident took place in Venice in Rialto, and speaking of Venice incidents, this is also the incident that uncovered Moira's involvement with Blackwatch. Um, there were several higher-ups in Overwatch that just completely disavowed all knowledge of her even being involved with anybody, because her research... We talked about Moira before. Her methods are... Um, Questionable. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> and the medical community was kind of like, yeah, no, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And uh, Blackwatch sort of stepped in. Reyes, actually, he stepped in and said, hey, you want to be part of our group? And asked her to join. Well, she did. Nobody really knew about it. Or if they did, they weren't saying that they knew anything about it. So this incident was also the one that kind of uncovered her involvement. And it also kind of started that whole spiral, maybe, of Gabriel Reyes. We see a darker side of Reyes in this one. Um, yeah. And that's kind of interesting, too. So what I want to touch on first here, though, what did you guys think about Retribution and the events that happened in Retribution? I It makes me want to see the founding of Blackwatch. Uh, it's actually really interesting to see one of the emails the problem is a lot of my thoughts are going to tie into one of the emails we got. So I don't want to say too much, mm -hmm. but um, I thought it was interesting to see the moment where things start to fall apart. As McCree pointed out, um, he says, you know, later on, that he thinks maybe this is where it started to go bad for, for overwatch in general. So that was well, interesting. Why don't we go ahead. We'll go ahead and hit that first email then and, and kind of direct that along with this. Uh, first email is from Godzilla, who says, Hello, Overlore Watchers. It is I, Godzilla, returning with more lore questions in regards to retribution. First off, was anyone else kind of disappointed that it wasn't a setup? From all the teasers, it seemed like Blackwatch was going to reach Antonio and find him already dead, and then they'd have to escape, and Blackwatch would end up getting the blame. Yet what we got was Gabe just deciding to end it right there. I asked this because there felt like a huge disconnect between the retribution comic and the actual mission. In the prelude, McCree wanted to kill Antonio, and Gabe wanted to bring him back and pump him for information on Talon. Yet through the entire mission, McCree spent the majority of the time whining that they were supposed to bring Antonio in, and that he didn't sign up for this. My friends and I felt that Gabe's change in stance made sense because Antonio goaded and villain monologued him. Yet McCree comes off as almost hypocritical, because he went from, I got a bullet with his name on it, to, what were you thinking we were supposed to bring him back alive? What do you guys think? Was there a miscommunication between the writers, or is McCree's sudden shift justifiable? Thanks again for your hard work, Godzilla. Yeah, and that's, here's my thing. I actually had no problem with this, and I actually thought it was interesting, because McCree to me seems to be the kind of guy that likes to be the rebel. He likes to be the one who's like, he's a little anti-authority. He's always like, you know, wants to go his own way. If you see what he is like in the modern period, like after this is eight, this is like eight years ago. If you look at modern McCree, who's wandering around as like a vigilante sort of taking on jobs that he thinks are the right ones to take on. That's, that's how he wants to be. That's how he wants his mind to work. Um, and seeing Gabe, he likes to, he, at this period in time, he wants Gabe to be the guy he rebels against. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we'll kill him. Gabe's like, no, no, we'll do it by the book. And that's what he wanted Gabe. To, that's what he wants Gabriel to be. That's who Gabriel is to him. He's the guy he reacts to. Then seeing Gabriel just shoot the guy down. That's that's if you're that, who am I? What am I reacting to? How do I rebel against that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's definitely some merit in that. But what do you think, Joe? I think it's McCree reading the situation better than anybody else involved. And this is. 
there's there's a thing in the between the comic transitioning to the event because I kind of have to view them all as a whole, and you start looking at the cinematics for the event, both the you know the beginning sequence and then the the end uh, voiceover and stuff like that. The beginning sequence, I think that you can see Gabe realizing what he got walked into. And it wasn't necessarily that he changed his mind because it was the villain monologue. And I think that McCree read that situation earlier than Gabe did, maybe like a split second. And that's where the change in tone comes from trying to get him back on the path, trying to get him back to, to wanting to, you know, sort of have a conscious because I think he realized that they walked into a setup. And I do think that they walked into a setup I don't think it was, you know, this big letdown and disappointment. I think Antonio was put out there by Talon specifically as a target to push Gabe over the edge because I think there's some clips and there's this big there's a fan theory that's going on that I actually really, really subscribe to where Moira was probably already working with Talon prior to this i I mentioned this in in, uh know your lore that i did about Mm -hmm. the event um i okay let's go there's some interesting there's some interesting cinematography choices that kind of lend to that as well let's let's go back to mccree for a second here though they're right godzilla is right in that there is kind of it it feels like there's a disconnect there because mccree was the one who was like yeah let's go kill the guy and then he was like why'd you kill the guy you know so it I think that more than a sense of rebellion or anything else, I think McCree is very much a person who wants to be in control of his own destiny mm-hmm. and wants to know where things stand and where things are. So he went into this mission with a specific set of orders and, uh, you know, a very specific set of orders from Reyes and also you know technically from overwatch but not really from overwatch because morrison didn't say yay or nay but they're walking that fine line that Blackwatch walks right that one where nothing's officially authorized but the higher-ups definitely know what's going on morrison knew what was going on he he knew that reyes was going to go do this thing um and i think McCree was under the understanding that, you know, this is how things are going to go down. This is what the plan is. Here's the plan. We're going to stick to the plan. And the moment that Reyes deviated from that plan, it wasn't about, are we going to kill Antonio or not? It was, whoa, why did you just change the plan split second? Like, what? We're not even going to talk about this? Do you realize, do you realize what this is going to do to Overwatch? Do you realize what this is going to do to us? I think that McCree read that situation uh, a lot more clearly than maybe anybody mm-hmm. else in that room in that he saw not just Antonio, you know, Reyes pulling a gun and killing Antonio, but he saw what the potential fallout from that could be. And that was all just kind of, you know, reinforced when we had a veritable talent army show up like the instant after he died. It was just hundreds of them coming swarming out of nowhere and they had to they had to scramble to get out of there and to mccree that's not a situation in which he's in control and that's especially when you're especially when you're a a wet work group that doesn't deal with direct confrontation very often or shouldn't very often right right and well supposed to be in the shadows the the thing is is what we have to keep in mind too with mccree is that mccree was originally part of the deadlock gang like way back when and he was caught and he was given a choice. He could go rot in a cell forever or he could join Blackwatch. Blackwatch was kind of his salvation in a way. If he doesn't have Blackwatch, who is he? If that stability that he's found, as weird as it is, that that stability within Blackwatch, if that suddenly falls out from under him, who is he? Where does he go? What does he do? Um, and we kind of see a reflection of that later because obviously the answer to that you know was he ran off and became this like vigilante kind of situation thing going on where he was that whole like you mentioned Rossi that whole gunslinger for hire thing but he only really took causes that he believed were just so he has this kind of innate sense of justice uh, of what's right in so far as it applies to him and his own morals but McCree's an interesting character there's actually something else to, to point out when talking about this too, though. Um, all those Talon guys don't do a thing until Antonio dies. Yep. And that's interesting. Going back on what both of you were saying, 
that this was a was in fact a setup. I think it was too, and I think that the reason it was a setup is because Antonio gets to stand there and do his villain monologue, and absolutely nobody. There's an entire army of talent operatives, but they don't drop in and surround the, the you know team before Gabe kills him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They could be standing in a big circle around the heroes, but you know, with Antonio behind them monologuing, that's not what happens. Antonio gives his monologue, and then Gabe shoots him. So here's my uh, fun question for you guys, because this actually kind of floats into that whole theory thing. Um, was Reyes working for Talon all along? No. Because we call Sorry. it, we call the event retribution, right? Was it retribution for what had been done to the Blackwatch facility and Gerard, or was it Talon's retribution against Antonio for doing something stupid? Did they send Reyes in to take out Antonio specifically so that, as we saw in the end of that cinematic, that second generation of of Talon, Doomfist, everybody else, could step up and take his place? I really don't think so otherwise, because if that was the case, they wouldn't have needed to give incentive Mm -hmm. for Reyes to go after him. You have the explosion of the facility that took out all of those people. So you have, you know, and there's even that scene with all of the coffins, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the scene with, uh, what is it, Gerard in the hospital bed, one of Reyes's, you know, really good friends, you know, sitting there after they, you know, bomb the facility, they wouldn't need to do that for Blackwatch to do a mission in which they kill somebody. Like, I don't believe that that would be the case because Blackwatch, especially Reyes being in at a high level position, could present something. Here's what we need to do. We need to go and get him. Here's what we need information for. It, it feels too massive of a setup at the front for that to be the case. Well, also, because I think. Um... I also because I think there's a very visible switch that flicks in him during that cinematic that isn't this is what I originally came here to do. That's, well, I'm kind of darned if I do, darned if I don't. So this is what's going to happen now. You know what I mean? That's where I come from on it. I do also think that if if Reyes was working for uh, Talon all along, there are things that would have still happened. But I, I don't know how to put this. Like, basically... It felt to me more like a mission where Talon did set it up and they set it up. The The woman who looks an awful lot like Widowmaker but can't be um, in the cinematic, do, I mean, in the comic, sets things up random, to get... Random Talon agent who just, like, yeah. set the bomb. Yeah. She just, you know, the whole thing, the, every, the way everything is set up feels to me more like they wanted Reyes there. They wanted him to break and kill Antonio to get Antonio out of the way for their own purposes. Certainly they wanted this to happen, but I don't think it's as simple as Reyes working for them all along because then he wouldn't have had to do the whole song and dance Mm -hmm. about we're not going to kill him. We're just going to capture him. It's not like anybody on Blackwatch would have cared. Nobody on that team would have said, Oh no, we can't murder a man. No. Yep. They would have been perfectly fine with going in and killing Antonio. So They, they wouldn't have been fine with breaking mission protocol and getting themselves exposed. This is the part where I'm going to turn our attention to another player in this whole debacle, and that would be Moira. Yeah. Moira was... Let's talk about Moira a little bit. Moira was deliberately recruited for Blackwatch by Gabriel Reyes. He brought her in specifically, and he brought her in because he wanted someone to advise him on matters pertaining to genetics. It was never really explained beyond that, but there were there was artwork in Moira's origin story that showed Reyes sitting there with a bunch of like, you know, sensors or whatever on his body, and he had that black smoke coming off of him, that reaper sort of smoke so there's two different houses of thought about this Um, a lot of people assume that Moira was the one who did this to him that she was the one who did all of this genetic experimentation and it was part of her research was what made this go horribly wrong or whatever because she would cross lines that nobody else would cross I come from a second school of thought that is also equally interesting 
here's what we don't know about Gabriel Reyes. He was part of a super soldier program with Jack Morrison. It was a classified program. It still hasn't been declassified. Nobody really knows what was done to these men and women that were in this program, just that they were genetically enhanced to have like super speed, strength, all this other stuff. Morrison and Reyes were taken out of that program and they were two of the founding members of Overwatch. Was Reyes exhibiting these side effects, this whole genetic weirdness that was going on, was that why he brought Moira on? Because stuff was happening to him and he didn't understand what was going on and wanted to control it. Or there's an alternate, you know, the theory that she did this to him, maybe he just wanted some way to infiltrate better. But That's, that's where I'm thinking... So, so so there's two different there's two different like I said there's two different methods of reasoning here um and Moira you know after Overwatch kind of fell apart Moira was she was forced to turn to unconventional sources of funding and then eventually she was invited to join the scientific collective that founded Oasis uh she was appointed minister of genetics nobody seemed to have a problem with her there uh but there were some rumors floating around out there that said that Talon had been supporting her for years. Years also, implying, because, yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk years here, that means while she was in Blackwatch. Yeah. Plus, the other thing is that while she, she only joined, she joined Blackwatch because Reyes recruited her, but the, the stick on that, you know, he, he, the carrot was join us and you'll have funding and everything you need. The stick was Overwatch itself was condemning her. Yep. At the I was just going to say that. Time. Yep. So she was in a really weird position where she have no loyalty to the larger organization. Her well, relationship with it wasn't there wasn't with McCree. McCree is loyal to Blackwatch and beyond that to Overwatch because it gave him a second chance. Genji. You know, again, um, Mercy f- saved his life. He's got his, a loyalty. Yeah, his to, life yeah. was saved as a result. He's got, he's got a loyalty to the organization beyond Reyes. Uh, but Moira, her deal was with Reyes specifically. And it wasn't a loyalty. This is a quid pro quo. He's doing stuff for her. She's doing stuff for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, whether or not she was working for Talon at that time is indeterminate. Like, we can't, we have no idea yet. They haven't revealed anything. But... It certainly is possible that even then she was looking for a better deal because she was never there as somebody who, you know, this isn't somebody who ideologically felt like the world needed to be saved. This was somebody who was like, I want to do my work and I will, you know, what's the deal I can make that will let me do my work? Here's the fun part, because when they talk about when they talk about uh, her dealings with Talon and the rumors that surrounded that kind of swirled that whole association between her and Talon said that Talon had been supporting her for years and aiding her experiments in exchange for utilizing the results of those experiments for their own purposes. If Reyes was one of those experiments, Talon wanted Reyes. Maybe, or they wanted the genetic data from him. So take it, take it, take it a step back though, too. Sure. What was, what was Moira doing as part of the black watch? It wasn't just genetic research for Reyes. It was also looking at developing new weapons and technologies, right? So now you have an operative inside of basically, and theoretically, we'll say that she's a talent operative at this point. She has access to all the Overwatch databases and mainframes. Well, we see in the scenario that they have access to a lot of technology that looks very much Overwatchy. They have the Crusader charges, which is very much something that we only saw in the Crusader armor. Well, there is a member of Overwatch who happens to be the last Crusader, more or less. Um, you have people utilizing technology that looks very, very similar to the Tracer technology uh, in the, those Assassins. Uh, you have all of this information that is being used by Talon, all these these weapons and, and armor that are being used by Talon that were very specific to Overwatch people. And yes, I understand the argument can be made, well, it's a game, it's a game feature, whatever. But it would make sense that if she was in charge of weapons and technology, that she would have access to that database. And if her patrons are like, give us this information because it's useful to us and we want to utilize it. It would make a perfect she was the a perfect leak. out for it. She was a leak. And not only that, the information from Reyes, yes, she was experimenting on him because I mean, we don't know why. 
but we can assume that he either wanted to open up more of the power that was inside of him because the super soldier serum or program that he was working with or part of with Jack, Jack's very, for lack of a better term, he's stable, right? He's faster, he's stronger, he's more resilient, but he's stable. So was Reyes. Reyes was at this point where he was stronger and faster, but with all the atrocities that were being perpetrated in the world, you have this sort of burden of I can be doing more that Reyes takes on to himself. And so is it would that be a perfect... what Reyes was doing? See, that's that's the question I think that so. I have is why did he bring Moira in? If he knew Moira's so. reputation, why did he bring her in? Because there's one of two reasons here. There's the one where, yeah, he thinks he can do better and he thinks Moira can help him accomplish that better, whatever that happens to be. Or there's something genetically wrong with Gabriel Reyes and he realizes it, but he's not telling anyone and he's See, trying to find some kind of solution and he turns maybe? to the wrong person to get that solution. See, but uh, th- that's the thing, though, like with with mercy and access to mercy, I, I can't I can't fathom that Reyes wouldn't go oh, to her and say, oh, fix me. yeah, because it was wrong. Something was wrong, like seriously wrong. Let me let me put it to you this way, Joe, because this is something I actually have experience with. Uh, when my vision was deteriorating, I was main tanking for a guild. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't let anybody know. I when I had a problem and I couldn't do a fight. I just, and in fact, you were in the guild where this was happening. Mm-hmm. And I basically ended up leaving the guild and I didn't tell anyone, oh, hey, I can't make these fight. I can't do this fight because I can't see what's going on. I just stopped showing up. And when people are in a, feel like they're in a position of authority or in a position of you know responsibility, they have different ways of handling it. But one of the ways is to conceal your problem. As you're getting, you know, he had if he had a problem where he was falling apart, like you see, if his body was literally de- deteriorating and then regenerating at in a rapid rate, I could see him in going not going to uh, Mercy because Mercy would tell Jack, you know, and the last Mercy thing would he tell wants Morrison. to do, the last thing he, the very last thing that he wants to do is give Overwatch or Morrison or anybody in charge of Overwatch or the UN that founded Overwatch to begin with and chose Morrison over him to lead. The last thing he wants to do is reinforce that decision and say, and, and give them the impression that that decision that they made was the right one. He wasn't happy that Morrison got picked See, over him. He just, he wasn't happy about it. Well, but here, here, and going back to the other thing, though, the, the reason that I think Moira caused the thing is even on Overwatch's own hero breakdown for Reaper, it's not a failed byproduct of the Super Soldier program. It's a failed byproduct of, or a byproduct of failed genetic alteration. Yeah. Which forces cells to simultaneously decay and regenerate. So, I don't think he was they were necessarily doing something decaying. to them in the super soldier program. They were doing something to those guys at the genetic level. They were doing some kind of genetic enhancement to these guys in that super yeah. soldier program. We don't know the details of what they were doing. So yeah, we need what to I'm, more what I'm saying here is it could be one of two things. Yeah, Moira is tinkering around in his DNA and did something wrong. Or this problem goes all the way back to that super soldier program that nobody is talking about. Nobody's asked any questions about that thing. It's still classified. What were mm-hmm. they doing? Nobody knows. Now, I mean, certainly, I'm still on the side of Moira did it, but I, I think do think so. that Jen. I do think that a, there's a point to they're thinking about the other possibility because we don't know. We know very little about the Super Soldier. Program. It was enough. Whatever they did was enough that Jack Morrison didn't die. In that explosion at the Swiss facility, everybody thought he was dead, and he wasn't. Nobody thought yeah. he survived that thing, and he did. How did that and happen? We don't, don't know. Have we, like, really, I mean, aside from, like, cute skins, in the comics, have they depicted him with his faceplate off yet? No. Not currently, no. So there's no lore picture of his face. We don't not know. Not now, not present day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We don't know what shape he came through that in. 
We know about Reaper and his hyper-accelerated degeneration and regeneration. We've never we seen Reaper know. without the mask off either. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what's going on with Jack right now. We know, like, he, his powers are pretty established. He's a stronger, tougher, faster human. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ha- seem to have anything as freaky as Reaper. But is he Jack Morrison, the re- the, the undying man? Do you kill him and he gets up half an hour later? I mean, we don't know what's going Old on. soldiers yeah. never die. Yeah. And, and- <laughs> The one thing that I keep sticking to, too, is that that image in her origin story, Moira's origin story, where Reyes does not exactly look like what he's seen with the black whisk going off of him is, is, you know, something he's seen before. No. Like, it's, and it, what it, I'm that's, thinking that's is a very that, surprised face on her. She's very pleased with herself in that well, image. And what I'm thinking is whatever it was that was going wrong with him, she tweaked it to the point where it turned into what reaper is now that whole black wispy dk acceleration i feel like i feel like there was something going on or going wrong with gabriel reyes and he knew it he wasn't going to tell anybody about it he brought moira in to try and stabilize it or control it or do something with it so that it was it was it was a factor that was beneficial rather than detrimental because Reyes yeah. is seeing seeing his share of combat, like he really has. If you look at uh, in, in the uh, retribution in the comic, his face is all beat up, like he's scarred back and forth. Well, I mean, he's seen also, a lot of combat. There's also a third possibility here. Reyes may not have actually had anything particularly wrong with him, other than mm-hmm. the fact that both he and Jack were getting older. Maybe you know. And one of the things about that is Reyes is the kind of person who would go and get someone like Moira. Because you pointed it out, and he was mad that the UN passed him over. Imagine he's sitting in Overwatch. He's in Blackwatch now. He's running it. He's got Jack as his overall commander. He does not feel that this was the right choice. He feels like he should have been made commander. And as time passes, because Overwatch has got more than, you know, they had a, a longer history than we've seen. They were like, you know, from the Omnic Crisis on. It's been a while. He's losing a step. See, and, and if he's losing a step, who who is he going to get to who can f- make him like he was again? Who can make him the super soldier that he was? Well, nobody's experimenting on that anymore. The program so is in effectively... the event that Morrison eventually retires and or gets pushed out unceremoniously, like Reinhardt did when he reaches a certain age. Maybe they'll turn to Reyes instead. Yeah, yeah. but Reyes doesn't want to be pushed out. Like he doesn't I... want that either, and. So you could you could have a situation where more, it's all in Reyes's head, where he just sees himself as deteriorating, whether or not he is, and he goes to Moira and says, "Make me better," and you'd still get the same basic effect, where she's working for Talon the whole time, and she takes the opportunity to start pushing him down a path they want to go. You know, it it doesn't. What's really important in all this, though, is that his recruitment of her. Is the it, I think McCree is right in that it's it, it's not the uh, it's not actually the Venice incident itself. It's recruiting Moira, which McCree was always opposed to. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the first time that Reyes made a serious error. He he recruited someone who had no loyalty to Overwatch. She had no she she had no reason not to betray them. Whether or not she did is immaterial. She was a person who had her own agenda that was never in line with Overwatch's. And her, her, her only, it wasn't even loyalty. Her only allegiance was to Reyes directly. He had recruited her and that's not strong enough. You know what I mean? Joe, what were you saying? See, and part of, part of the whole thing that, and this is going to sound sort of selfish, I guess. Um, nope. Go I for like, it. I like the idea of Reyes not being corrupted so to speak not having an ulterior motive not being entirely selfish because he in his backstory his origin story before becoming reaper he wanted to protect people you know he was that kid from los angeles that you know grew up joined the united states military became uh, a senior officer was a, a a celebrated veteran highly respected but was still doing work to protect people and even in Blackwatch, the reason he does what he does is because at the end of the day, the dirty things that he's willing to do are to protect people at, as a whole. And the idea of him reaching out to Moira, because one, you pointed out the Super Soldiers program is done. It's over with those records are sealed. Right. So yeah. if they're not making any more of them. Right. 
And this war that everybody knows is coming with Talon, essentially, is being lost in this war of attrition that they can't keep up with. So I could see Reyes as a character looking at this, looking that my work is not done. There's still more that I need to do, you know. And who knows what he's seen? Who knows what the what he's what they went through in those programs? We don't know. But he might not feel that they gave him everything that they could, that there's more potential in him that needs to be unlocked. And so you have this paper that's published by Moira that essentially says you can rewrite the base DNA of any living creature to unlock its full potential, um, which is a very, you know, doom fist survival of the fittest thing anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, but. You're Reyes. You read this. Everybody else around you is like, this is a terrible idea. But you're looking at it and you're like, this might be able to finally give me an edge. I might be able to save more people. And him recruiting her specifically for that purpose, knowing that he might have things in him that his DNA has been fun fundamentally altered, but not knowing how or what else he could possibly do. And recruiting her to unlock that. And I think that's where my happy place is for him because, yes, he became a monster or we think he became a monster after that. It's also just as likely he wears the mask, not because he's horribly disfigured, but because he's become something that he wasn't and doesn't want to look at himself anymore. And I kind of like the I... idea that he wasn't always the okay, bad guy. Wait, you know what I mean? Hold up, hold up. I like the idea that he doesn't want to look at himself and see what he's become or whatever. Because if you go back to the Reflections comic, <laughs> where do we see Reaper? Creeping yep. in an alley, watching a very happy family. There's yep. no indication that he's related to that family or anything. He's just watching it. It's the life he never had. And there's, you know, one of the other things to keep in mind when we're talking about all this. Uh, Reyes' original identity was a Soldier 24 that's when he was in the in the augment program. Yeah. Um, that's before and during the Omnic crisis. He actually he joined the army, he did very well for himself. He eventually became, you know, a veteran. He was actually discharged because that's what when you're a veteran you're out. Um he then went into the program, got enhanced, went into the Omnic crisis, fought in the Omnic crisis because Overwatch did Overwatch did wasn't formed like the day after the Omnic crisis. It was several years into it when they finally realized they needed Overwatch, except the Russians, who were like, "Nope, we're going to use big robots." We're, we're not doing. They did very thing. well we're, with those big robots. To yeah, be fair, no, mm -hmm. to be fair, but I'm just saying that most of the rest of the world went with Overwatch. Overwatch had like a by the time we're looking at the retribution comic which is eight years before the game that's several years into its operation you know morrison had been leading at that time it's it's just it really is one of those things you think about reyes as a person this is a guy who has uh, i don't to this day i i find his b membership in talon fascinating because it, it almost feels like it's beneath him see does that make sense I, I don't know if it's necessarily beneath him. I here's my theory on that in particular, and this is why I like the, the idea of him not being able to look at himself. I think Moira's got him by the short hairs. I think she destabilized him or did something to him that she's keeping him together, and I think that that's why he's working with them. Not necessarily that he wants to murder everybody because. And we've talked about this before, and this is one of those things that I really like about it. He's had opportunity to kill a lot of Overwatch people and hasn't. He purposely disables them, but he doesn't kill them. Why? If he's that cold blood of a, of a murderer, why didn't he murder Jack? Why didn't he murder Winston? He had the opportunity to several times, both of them. He didn't. I think that Moira's got something on him, and I think it's what keeping him alive. And so his choices are stay alive and try to bring it down from within or do something to, you know, get the final piece so he can go back to doing what he originally wanted to do, which is, is bring down cool Talon and why he's cool with Sombra, why he's very cool with Sombra, who also has a very similar path to him and why he's doing this. And I think that that's part of it, too, because um, going back to like, I think he does. He, he's not necessarily that evil because in the Michael Chu Reddit AMA uh, last year, they did confirm that the holiday family that he was talking wasn't randomly chosen. That was his family. Uh huh. So that that was they they they, they flat out said that in the Michael the Michael Chu Reddit AMA. Um, so I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's bad, and I don't think he's doing this or anything with Talon by choice. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie I, this back to the McCree thing. 
Go ahead. Uh, one of the things I think that McCree would suddenly be shocked by by Gabe doing what he did isn't just that he sees what the effect's going to be. It isn't just that he realizes. I think it's, for lack of a better word, Gabriel Reyes changed Jesse McCree's life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he I sees mean, the death of his, well, I don't want to say well, death I mean, of his friend. But yeah, the, no, but there's, up till that point, Reyes was a dark character, like a, a guy who could do things that were hard, but he never, if he told you we're doing it this way, that was Oak. You could take it as, you know, well, Reyes said that that's the plan. So that's the plan. McCree suggested killing Antonio because sure. Why wouldn't McCree suggest it? But when Reyes says we're going to win, we're going to get him. Reyes lays out the reasons he tells him, this is why we're going to do it. And McCree is fine with it. McCree is McCree is used to following Reyes. But when Reyes goes off the rails, it's like I said, in a way it is who am I going to rebel against? But it's also the reason that he has Reyes to rebel against is because Reyes picked him. Reyes went into that cell and said, look, you're, you're, you can be more than some schmuck in a gang. You can be more than someone who's going to spend the rest of his life in a cell for being an idiot and for hurting people. So, you can do more with your life. And now there they are in a crux and Reyes has done exactly what he saved McCree from. So, you know what um, I mean? I'm going to interrupt here because we've been talking for a while and I want to get to one of the other emails that we've got here. <laughs> Uh, this one, actually, it wasn't an email. It was from the the pa- Patreon Discord. Uh, is, this is from Zell, who says, What was the plan after extracting Antonio? He makes it seem like he had the courts and justice system deep in his pockets. Were they really just going to put him into that system? Or would they have a secret black site off the books somewhere? So, had things gone according to plan, and they had gotten Antonio, what were they going to do? I think that they made it pretty clear in the comic that uh, he wasn't exactly going to go to a normal jail cell and that uh, because it wasn't officially sanctioned by Overwatch and Overwatch technically didn't have a stake in what happened, so to speak. Reyes wanted information. He wanted wanted information. He wanted enough information that they could actually take Talon down. At this point, they had been fighting Talon for like over a year. So trying to grab somebody and sticking them in there, you know, the black watch dental chair, um, you know, for a little bit would have been right up their alley. And I think also to go back to the original thing that we were talking about with McCree, I think that's why McCree backed down on killing him, uh, Antonio, so readily is because Reyes says there's worse things we can do to him than kill him. Killing will be swift and and it'll end his suffering, but he's going to talk and oh, he's going to tell us everything. And McCree seems really okay with that because I think he understands that, yeah, it's going to get dirty. It's going to get, you know, behind closed doors. It's going to be really awful and it's going to be painful and it's going to, he's going to suffer. This is a black ops military organization. I mean, these are, these are assassins and, and, you know, they're going to take him somewhere but it's a black site they're not going to tell anyone about it it's not going to be anywhere near italy he's not going to have any friends that he can call he probably won't even be in europe so that even his european connections can't help him if anyone's going to come help him they're going to have to go to some inhospitable place in the middle of freaking nowhere that they don't know about you know what i mean that's this is this is we have enough real life examples of this it's going to be that it's going to be a black site that's what he was going to do um whether or not they under overestimated their ability to get him to such a place based on all the talent agents who drop in, uh, you know, if it had looked like he wasn't going to kill Antonio, if they were just going to take him, it looks like Talon would have just dropped in then and possibly killed Antonio themselves. Um, but it, it definitely feels like it would have been a lot harder than they had intended it to be. But yeah, they had a place to pay to put him. Okay, I have one more really quick question and answer for you guys. Like, I want a quick answer out of this. And then we're going to go to the last email. Um, Quick question. Why did Reyes join Talon if he was so dead set against everything that they were doing and everything that they stood for in Retribution? I honestly believe that it's because Moira is the only thing keeping him alive. What do you think, Rossi? I have thought for a while that he's working against Talon. Remember we talked about it last year? Mm-hmm. And I said that there's there's a lot more going on with Reaper than we we yet know. Moira keeping him alive could certainly be possible part of it, but I feel like there's 
we've yet to actually see what his plan for Talon is for that matter. Cause keep in mind, he's not, he's by no means, by no means is he in charge of Talon right now. You know, Do you think that's he, why he's hanging out with Widowmaker? That could be one thing. Um, for he's that matter, trying to protect his friend's wife in whatever way he can, even maybe, though she's not really herself anymore. I'm going to be completely mm. upfront with you guys. I do not think we actually know what happened to to Lacroix. Yeah, I, do I was going to say that too. Th- I do not think the story we have been told is the actual story, and it'll be interesting to see what comes up in the future. I will just say that I would not be surprised to see him again in the present day. Lacroix, yeah, yeah. it'd be I, pretty I, cool. I, I've got similar shades of that too. I've I've had that similar thought. There's that part. There's a. I don't know. I don't know who's speaking to who. I don't know if it's Amari speaking to Winnowmaker or if it's Mercy or somebody says something about him and she says, you don't know what you're talking about. Like Widowmaker's response is, you don't know what you are talking about when, 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 when Gerard is brought up. Yeah, um, ooh, oh God. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, cause if Gerard's still alive and he was in charge of Blackwatch, which he was, he wasn't in charge of Blackwatch, but he was working. He, yeah. No, he was working with them. He was Kinda, working yeah. with them. He wasn't part of Blackwatch. He's more but of a liaison. Yeah, more actually. of a liaison. Sure, but if if he's if he's that good friends with Reyes, faking his own death and getting Reyes embedded into Talon would definitely be a play that I think they'd both be up for. Yeah, could be I mean, way th- more complex than we think. <laughs> could be. I mean, there's no reason it has to be. It could be as simple as it as it currently appears. But I, I just there's enough out there that makes me wonder. Like Widowmaker clearly still has something going on in her that that makes her go to his gravesite, which she still she, feels. Yeah, she felt nothing and didn't care. Why go to his gravesite? Why get upset when someone you know brings him up? You know. She's obviously not the robot she wants people to think she is, and she's not just alive when she kills people, like she says. There's more going on with Widowmaker. There's more going on with Reaper. There's more going on with Talon. Like, let's, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if Reaper tries to kill Doomfist. Okay, let's let's go ahead and move on from here. Um, we've spent a great deal of time talking about three of the four known members of Blackwatch. There's also Genji, who spent most of Retribution being very quiet. Didn't say a lot. Um, we know as far as Genji is concerned, his loyalty to Overwatch is pretty much because they saved his life. He was dying. Uh, Mercy managed to make him alive again by kind of incorporating most of his body with like cybernetics, pretty much. Um, Genji, Genji always struck me as kind of interesting because a lot of the a lot of the concept in Overwatch is that whole struggle between humanity and Omnics, and you know you have that whole Omnic crisis setting and everything. Genji is kind of like that overlap point. He's like that living link between human and Omnics. It, it's like he is he is the embodiment of that, and it's kind of interesting because uh, he was involved with Blackwatch and then he left it at some point. It was after Retribution. It was after Uprising, presumably. Um, We don't really know the details other than he left when his mission was complete. Like, that's all that is said about it. And we don't know what his mission was exactly, but afterwards he kind of drifted for years until he encountered Zenyatta and the rest of the Omni... the Omnics that were all part of that whole Shambhali movement type thing where they were talking about Omnics with souls and, and, and that kind of thing. Anyway, and in speaking with Zenyatta and studying with Zenyatta, he kind of reconciled that dual existence that he kind of lives as as both man and machine. So the last email that we have here, it, it's actually talking about Genji a little bit, but also about Hanzo as well. And that whole overarching theme of humanity versus Omnic existence. Um, and this one is from Shisui, who's a blood elf monk and a Genji main, who says, Hi, Watchers. In the animated short Dragons, it's stated that Hanzo had to take his brother Genji's life to maintain balance within the Shimada clan. Hanzo seems to represent a larger demographic of individuals resisting change since the fallout of the Omnic Crisis, while Genji's acceptance of himself and his brother's actions seem to symbolize an embrace of this change despite his traumatic experience. Could you give us some insight as to how this dichotomy of views manifests elsewhere in the Overwatch series? So what we're looking at here is Hanzo kind of represents that 
group that doesn't want change necessarily, doesn't trust Omnic society, um, and Genji is kind of representative of that side that has moved on and is trying to, you know, well, form a Numani out of the world, basically, because Numani is like where humanity and Omnics come together to live, and they're living actually in harmony as far as that is concerned. Um, I don't know if you guys have any examples right off the bat, but... Well, I, I, well I'm not sure. It's not really an example, but um, I don't think that that's why Hanzo and Genji fought, and I don't think... Whatever dragons, whatever dragon says, I mean, it's kind of Hanzo justifying himself. Hanzo and Genji fought because Hanzo wanted Genji to take part of the clan. He wanted him to become, like, to to do things for the clan, not just take its money and be a playboy, which is what Genji wanted to do. Genji was good at it being a ninja, but he didn't particularly want to do it. He was kind of a slacker, and their fight initially is over that. Like they they, it's said in multiple places that. It wasn't about, you know, I want things to be the old way. I want things to be the new way. It was, I want you to take your responsibility to this clan seriously. And Genji being, I'm not really that into the clan, the whole, like, criminal thing. It's not doing it for me. I like the money, but... And that's their original conflict, where Hanzo, you know, almost kills Genji. Uh, Genji becomes very antagonistic to the Shimada clan afterwards when he's in Overwatch. Um, and he certainly embraces those things afterwards as he becomes, you know, like you pointed out, everything you just said about, like, you know, how he, he meets Zenyatta's, you know, Zenyatta's group and all that. That's all true, but that's after the initial fight with Hanzo. Um, that's kind of the, the life he builds for himself. Does that make sense? So well, I think in a way that Hanzo, it wasn't really Hanzo acting in and of his own volition here. The clan elders pretty much told Hanzo, hey, yeah. you need to go straighten out your younger brother. He's not doing what he needs to be doing. After after their father died, because their father after their father died, but but Hanzo Hanzo was the elder son, so he was pretty much bound by duty to take that position of leadership, and he was sort of groomed for that position the entirety of his life. Genji didn't get that same kind of training because he was the younger son, but he Mm -hmm. was still expected at at some point to you know step up and help rule in some aspect or another and yeah, Gen- do Genji things just, yeah, yeah exactly yeah well hanzo it's interesting because hanzo like immediately after this happened hanzo kind of fell apart um what he had to do kind of broke his heart and it was like everything that he had been trained to do his entire life led to this moment so who was he really and um it kind of he rejected his father's legacy at that point and just abandoned the clan. Um, he also, and that's the interesting thing, yeah. Because he also ditched them... the sword entirely. Like, that's when he, he stopped fighting with the sword. That's yeah. why Hanzo has a bow. <laughs> but neither of them are basically... The, the dichotomy that's presented here, neither of them are that, is what I'm saying. Hanzo, at, at that time, you could say he was, like, keeping the old ways, but he isn't that now. Uh, he's very much, you know, I rejected I that think, way of life. Well, so. I think, and if you don't look at it in a literal sense, if you look at it in a figurative kind of sense, and you look at dragons in particular, when when Genji takes his mask off and, and shows his brother what has been done, that he is Genji, Hanzo's first reaction is, what did they do to you? He's just horrified that his brother is this half-man, half-machine thing that may or may not actually be Genji, <laughs> you know... Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't necessarily have to be a whole, you know, this pertains to the Omnix thing. It could literally be him him staring at what used to be his brother and not recognizing him fully anymore, because that would be, I think, it, it parallels real life in, like, you know, soldiers coming home from war and getting prosthetics and, you know, just their family kind of being shocked at it. Like, I could, I could see it being something like that. It's like, and also, he was supposed to have killed his brother, right? So here's this ghost standing in front of him um, that isn't but is his brother at the same time. That's unsettling. That is 100% unsettling because you don't expect that. You, you're you This life that you've built, because this, this is how many years after Dragon, or after um, he was supposed to have killed him for the clan? How many years is that after it? Like, it's not immediate. Oh, well, I'd say passed. probably, well, I mean, at least eight, because... yeah. Because so, Genji was there during Retribution, and that was eight years ago. So I'd say probably eight to ten, somewhere in there. 
It's been so a long time. So you're looking at a decade of believing in your brain that your brother is dead at your hands. And then you see this thing that you're so convinced that your brother is dead that you see this thing in front of you that has your brother's face. And I mean, what do you, how do you react to that? So I don't know if it's necessarily that it's he, it's anti omnic. I think it's more shock of, you know, I've, Essentially, I've mourned you for 10 years and you're supposed to be dead. Why are you here? I think if you want a better representation of that whole anti-omnic stance, because this is something that has come up like repeatedly. This is one of those kind of overarching themes is can we just get along? And there are some people who are on board with that idea and there are some people who are very much not. And I think one of the strongest examples of that would be Roadhog. Um, his name was Mako Rutledge back in the day, but during the Omnic crisis, he and his fellow residents of the Outback basically spent a gigantic chunk of the Omnic crisis fighting to protect their homes out there on the Outback, like fighting against the Omnics and, and, and trying to achieve some kind of victory. And when the Omnic crisis was over, they thought, they could breathe a sigh of relief, go back to living life the way that they did before all the robots went crazy, right? Except that the Australian government stepped in and said, hi, we're going to take all of this land, land here and, and the Omnium that's right here, and we're just going to hand that over to the Omnics to try and establish some kind of long-term peace accord. All you people who actually live on this land, yeah, you need to get out. So for Roadhog at that point, and, and for, you know, again, the fellow residents of that area, they were furious. They were absolutely furious because they had spent all of these years fighting against these people only to have the government sweep in and hand the people they were fighting against their land, the land that they had been fighting to protect, you know. Um, so they formed this thing called the Australian Liberation Front. And they fought back against the Omnium. And it eventually led to this incident where they sabotaged the Omnium's fusion core. And it made this mass explosion that just it destroyed the facility. It also irradiated all of the surrounding land and turned his former home, that land that they had been fighting for, into this kind of apocalyptic wasteland, which is where you run into stuff like Junkertown. Junkrat, Junkrat was affected by the radiation that came off of that facility um but for mako rutledge it was absolutely a matter of <laughs> he he does not like omnics like at all this is not this is not a point to which he is going to yield ever um they destroyed his livelihood they destroyed his home he's not happy with the government either because they turned around and like gave his land to these things that he does not like um so there's a lot there's a lot going on there where i think you know that dichotomy kind of presents itself what's really interesting here though is that you know there are some people who think that talon is very much an anti-omnic organization and they aren't um they orchestrated the assassination of Takartha Mandata. They did do that. But that wasn't necessarily anti-Omnic. That no, was anti-him. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing, is Talon's actually been shown to work with Omnics, and they have one on their council, Maximilian. Yeah, I was just going to say that. We, yeah. haven't, we haven't heard much about. So I don't think that Talon, Talon is necessarily anti-Omnic as much as they're trying to create chaos in any way possible. They're trying to they're trying to foment that chaos and conflict. Mondada was very much a proponent of stopping the chaos and conflict and, you know, ushering the world into this harmony. Um, that's the last thing that Talon wants. So I feel like as as far as that's concerned, um, Talon's not really anti omnic. But you see that kind of sentiment wherever you go. I mean, you go to London if you go if you go to the map at King's Row, there's all kinds of stuff back and forth there about, you know, omnics go home or humans go home. It, uprising was all about Null Sector coming out and trying to establish themselves and like doing this whole uprising thing. It it's not easy right now because the omnic crisis was this moment where omnics, 
basically rebelled. They they rebelled. They rewrote their own programs. They turned against humanity in this awful, awful, awful war that was global. I mean, it was all over the world. It was like every every continent was hit by this and hit by this hard. So it's really hard coming back from that to instill any kind of sense of trust with these creatures, particularly even when you have a group that says, yeah, we have souls and, and we have like, we, we share the same kind of um, way of thinking that you do. Because Zenyatta and Mandata and the rest of the Shambhali, they went off into the mountains of Nepal and they kind of meditated on this whole thing and realized that they had an existence. They had a life such as it was. They weren't just robots. They were living creatures with like, souls they were entities with um free will that kind of thing and can humanity put aside what happened with the omnic crisis and actually get along with the omnics that seems to be a lot of the conflict right now you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah that's absolutely part of the game i just it's sometimes it's like some characters i don't really feel work with it as others do i really you know someday we're gonna have to see a, a bastion uh, oh God, Bastion Reinhardt road trip. Oh boy, <laughs> I remember killing a lot of you. The robot doesn't say. Bastion doesn't say anything. Bastion doesn't sad, sad, sad chirp. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. Bastion is too, interesting to too because Bastion, Bastion is very much. I mean, he was one of those war constructs that was created specifically for the Omnic Crisis, and all of a sudden he has this spark of. I don't want to say it's a spark of humanity, but it is. I mean, if you spark want to, self. I, it's a spark, it's a spark of, of self, self, a spark of self-worth and a spark of free will. And there, there's, I mean, that beautiful, beautiful cinematic that they did with Bastion where he remembers the things that he did and, and it terrifies him. Like it horrifies him that this happened to him and he doesn't understand. It, it's really interesting that they could convey so much without a single line of dialogue in that cinematic so yeah i don't know um as far as hanzo and genji go i love the two of them i think that they're great i think that they're great characters i think there's a lot more there to work with than what we've been shown so far and i really want to see the post dragons fallout like what happened afterwards in the reflections comic we got kind of a shot of hanzo buying something for a kid like bread or something i don't remember anyway uh he was doing something nice but he was still, you know, out in the world, not really interacting with anyone or anything. Um, and and Genji is still hanging out with Zenyatta, which is good. Z- uh, Genji has found that sense of balance that he was missing. Um, Overwatch didn't give it to him. Overwatch gave him his life. Zenyatta gave him his sense of self. So which one do you weigh more on? And And, and I think right now, obviously, you know, Overwatch is gone. Blackwatch went weird. And I also find it really interesting that McCree, McCree took off. He didn't take off after after this retribution incident. McCree took off when that rivalry and infighting between Reyes and Morrison got to the point where it was really uncomfortable. Like, he just didn't want to stick around for it. He wasn't feeling it. He left. And this was before everything that happened in the Swiss facility. So I don't know. Um, but I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there because we've been going for a while, if that's okay with you guys. Yes. Yep. No, it works for me. All right. Well, as for uh, the show here, if you guys have a question for Lore Watch, as always, you can go ahead and email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure to put Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. Next time, we'll probably go back to World of Warcraft or we'll go back to, I don't know, whatever we find fascinating. We'll find out when we get there. Um, for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, here's the deal. There are a lot of Blizzard titles that are available on Audible. You can pick one of those titles for your 30-day trial if you would like. Um, at this point in time, I just went and looked it up just to double check here. You can pre-order Before the Storm as part of your 30-day trial. Before the Storm will be coming out with an audiobook version. It will be available on Audible. If you want to sign up with your 30-day trial and you want to use your freebie with your 30-day trial to pre-order Before the Storm before it hits, go right ahead. They will allow you to do that. Again, you can sign up to do that at blizzardwatch.com audible. And every time you sign up, help support the show. We appreciate that. 
Uh, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. So, um, final thoughts, you guys. And we'll we'll try and keep this brief, but um, obviously uh, Retribution is the second entry in this whole Overwatch Archives thing, uh, now that they've come out with the name Overwatch Archives. So we've visited Uprising with the whole Null Sector Uprising in King's Row. We've visited Retribution, this whole Venice incident that basically exposed Blackwatch to the world at large. What other parts of Overwatch's history do you want to see made into an Archives event? I want to see how Roadhog and uh, God, why, why am I th- Junk Rat? How they? Uh, I want to see the whole thing played out of how they originally get, got kicked out. Okay. I want that to be an event. I want that to be a playable event. <laughs> Rossi, what about you? How did Overwatch happen? You want to see the what original was their first mission? Yeah. What was the first mission? When did it, how what? What happened that was so bad that the rest of the world finally got off their collective butts and said, we need a, a, a group to take it on this t- together. We can't do this by ourselves. We need a, a single organization to fight it. I want to see that. I want to see like what whatever it was that was so bad that they needed Overwatch. Because they were fighting the Omics for a while without them. I want to see like the, the, the moment that they said, no, we need Overwatch and Overwatch's first mission. Do you know what I want to see? I want to see the events leading up that last that last confrontation between Morrison and Reyes I want to see the explosion at the Swiss facility the accident whatever that accident happened they call it an accidental explosion at the Swiss facility I want to see what the ramp up to that was and I want to see what made that occur and I imagine that the end of that would be very sad because obviously at the end of that we assume that Morrison and Reyes are, are no longer with us at all but I think that would make a great archives event. I don't know about you guys. I'd be in for that too. Overwatch yep. just just Overwatch has been around like the organization has been around so long that there are so many different points in history that they could pick from. So, yeah, any of those would be good. I would love to see archives exist more than once a year in April. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd like them to be playable longer, yeah. I I'd, I'd like to see them like once every 6 months or so. Like do two a year. Or, I mean, if they keep adding more to them, you can just run them in a rotation. I'm just, you know, it'd be great. I'm okay with them being in bonus content, but like I said, I'd love to see it more frequently than once a year, particularly when they're as story-heavy as they are, because that's what makes them so appealing. That's part of what makes them so appealing. Anyway, thanks, you guys, as always, for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.